just a quick admin note before we get started. As you see, we're nearing the end of our study in Ruth, Lord willing. Our next study will be in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John. So this Sunday and prayerfully next Sunday, we'll be ending our study here and we'll be starting a new study in the Gospel of John. So be praying for that, that study. If you have a copy of God's word before you, open to Ruth chapter four this morning. This will be our study, Ruth chapter four, verses one through 12, and speaking on the subject, redemption secured, redemption secured. We'll see in our text this uh, process this legal process that Boaz uh, went through in order to secure Ruth and Naomi's redemption. So Ruth chapter four, verses one through 12 would be our focus again. And I have uh, four points that I would like to bring to you this morning. Uh, and these are the four points, the, the preparation, the preparation, Boaz, Boaz preps, uh, he assembles men, uh, he gets the Redeemer together and uh, for the process of redemption. We'll see the negotiation, the confirmation once it's completed, and the intercession. The preparation, the negotiation, the confirmation, and the intercession. So look with me at Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. This is God's holy word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, my friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field, from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to uh, perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to conform uh, to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilon and Mahalan. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahalan, uh, uh, I have bought to be my wife, to propitiate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and elders said, we are witnesses. 
may the Lord, may Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord would give you by this young woman. This is God's holy word. There are many things that happen in life that happen unexpectedly. We even see here in this wonderful short book in the Old Testament, uh, things that take place in the lives of the participants that are unexpected. We've seen many things. We've seen death. We've seen famine. But we've seen uh, sadness and bitterness. And in the midst of all of this, God unexpectedly blessed and blessed abundantly, particularly with these two women, Ruth and Naomi. But God is going to redeem them both. And this is, again, it's unexpected. Uh, one, Naomi was a she wandered with her family from Bethlehem and Ruth the Moabite lived in idolatry she lived a life separated from a relationship with God neither of these women had anything to offer neither of these women deserved to be blessed and yet they were blessed they were abundantly blessed they were blessed. They had nothing to offer. They were undeserving. And God used Boaz, who was a sinner himself. God enabled Boaz, a loving and faithful redeemer, to come into their lives and be an expression of his hesed, his loving kindness to both these undeserving women. Boaz's loving actions and righteous character as redeemer points us forward to Jesus Christ and the greater redemption that he would accomplish. But don't lose sight that God used Boaz as his vessel of goodness. God used Boaz to show forth to these ladies and to us who read what God is like. A simple story, a simple story of redemption. It'll end in redemption. We'll talk about uh, the black, uh, that blessing next week. But we get to see something of God's character hidden behind the scenes, hidden for those who desire to see it, hidden for those who desire to know him. God is such a, a gracious and, and loving God to reveal his glory in simple ways that we can go. And if we are searching for him, we will find him. We will find him. Just look at our passage here this morning and see our awesome and wonderful God reveal himself to us through Boaz. Remember the last time that we met, we were in chapter three and there in chapter three, uh, Ruth was uh, sent by Naomi to the threshing floor, remember that Boaz was going to be at the threshing floor. Uh, Naomi knew this and she sent Ruth there. Remember, Naomi told Ruth to clean herself up. 
to put on some some oil and remember that we said that that was probably for the case that uh, Ruth was in mourning for her husband and she was to clean herself up to show that she was no longer in mourning, that she was available, that she was available. And so she did that and she went down to the threshing floor and waited till Boaz uh, fell asleep according to Naomi's instruction. And, and remember, as we were looking at that, you can read that and, and see a sense of sexual tension in there and thinking that, oh, this is a mistake uh, for Ruth to do this. But because of the righteous character of Boaz and the righteous character of Ruth, nothing inappropriately transpired. They were both faithful. And, and that is uh, what, what, what God has uh, desired that we glean is that he will work through men and women who desire to be faithful to him. And so through Boaz and, and Ruth met together and Ruth desired that uh, Boaz would take her in marriage as a redeemer. And Boaz said that he would do that. And Boaz told both that there was another redeemer that was ahead of him that must uh, be prioritized. And so remember, he sent Ruth away with some barley, uh, a lot of it. And she went away. And now we find ourselves in the next day in chapter four. It's the next day. And notice what we see here in verse number one, the next day. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. Let's look at this a little bit more closely. Remember that Naomi said in verse 18 of chapter three, uh, she told Ruth, she said, she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out for the man talking about Boaz will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. Here we see that Naomi's assessment of Boaz's determination is correct. It's correct. What Naomi said, what she had said about Boaz, it is it is coming out here in this verse. We're now at the gate. And it says now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. This is this is Boaz. He, he goes up to the city gate and he's not waiting around. Don't miss that little that little nugget. He, he, he's not waiting around. He doesn't go and, and go and, and take care of a business. He goes and he, uh, he begins to deal with what he has just promised Ruth that he would do. He, the, the, he goes from there and he goes to the city gate and he said, now he doesn't wait around. He got right down to taking care of what he had promised him. And when he arrived at the city gate, he sat down. And the city gate was not only an entry point, but an exit point of the city. And it was also a place where men met to take care of daily business, legal transactions, and things of that nature. It was also the place where the elders went. The elders went and witnessed transactions and decided cases. This the city gate was a place where these men would meet and it was open to the public. And we'll see that in our passage. It was open to the public, allowing other people who were passing by and those who wanted to uh, perhaps witness the transactions that was going on. They could they were allowed to witness and observe whether justice or uh, whatever is being passed down, that it was being passed down correctly. 
So Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And notice what it says next. Be, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And in and, and, and the book of Ruth, we, we have seen again and again God's sovereign providence. That's no difference right here. God's sovereign providence is seen in the very fact that the redeemer of who Boaz didn't have to go and get him. Look what it says. It says, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz has spoken came by. He just happened. Boaz goes there to the gate, sits down. And the Redeemer of whom Boaz has spoken come walking by, by God's sovereign providence. This is God's invisible hand guiding this event, just as he has been doing throughout this book. Notice what it says. It goes on. Verse one says, so Boaz turned aside. Friend, sit down here. Uh, and he turned aside and sat down. This word friend uh, is, a, is, is interesting because is, is there some, uh, the, the, the author, what he's doing is that he doesn't want the, the name of this redeemer to be made known. So it's, it's almost like he, it's, it's, he's saying, this is so-and-so. He, he doesn't want to say his name. So he doesn't give us his, his name. And as you will see throughout this passage, he's just simply called the Redeemer. His name is his not given. He, uh, uh, everybody else in the story knows his name. <laughs> the people that are involved knows his name. But... We who are the readers and those who, those who will read this book doesn't know his name. John Hamlin writes uh, in reference to this, he said, uh, in reference to the Redeemer, he said he is important only as a legal obstacle to the fulfillment of Boaz's promise to Ruth. Richard Lusk observed, he said, he said this, quote, the author probably concealed the identity of this man so as not to embarrass his family or his descendants living at the time of writing, end quote. And we'll see why, why uh, Richard Lust says that. Uh, Richard Lust says that, that perhaps the writer does not include this man's name because he doesn't want to embarrass him for how he's going to act later on in our text. And so Boaz turned aside to this redeemer, this unnamed man, and, act, and Boaz asks him, he says, sit down here, and he did. Uh, uh, look at verse number two. Boaz uh, summons witnesses as well. He says, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. The Redeemer was asked to sit down and he sat down and these 10 elders were asked to sit down by Boaz and they did it. This, I believe, says something about Boaz's character. That he can go to uh, someone and, and they can, he was such a trustworthy man that what he asked them to do, they willingly did. That's what he... He, he, he simply goes and says, hey, friend, you know, sit down here. And he did. He turned aside and sat down. The elders, 10 men, older men, said to them, sit down here. And they sat down. And what is Boaz doing? He's gathering 10 elders to serve as courts of witness who would judge and rule on the matter that he was getting ready to, to bring forward. And, and why is that important? Because Boaz wants to ensure that this transaction that is going to transpire, that it was according to the law of God. This says something about Boaz's character again. And so he gathered all that needed to be gathered. He seated, the, seated all. And, and, and doing this, what is Boaz doing? 
What what is the what what are we seeing here? Remember remember the time in which this book is written. It's written in a time in the time of the judges, and 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 the the book of Judges ends in this way. It said, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's, this is significant because Boaz does not desire to do what is right in his own eyes. He wants witnesses. Why? Because he's a man of integrity. He's a faithful man. He wants to obey God. So he assembles. He assembles the ten elders. He assembles the 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 redeemer who would be involved in this trend. I don't want anything. I want everything to be out in the open. So that's the preparation. Notice the negotiation. Verse three, Boaz opens the negotiations with the issue of Elimelech's land. Look at verse three. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, we're not told why Naomi is selling the land. Perhaps she is selling the land because of uh, her and Ruth uh, being in poverty. Perhaps they, uh, Naomi needs the money. And she is going, she is seeking to sell the land. We, we don't know why she's selling the land, but here we're told she's selling the land. And the near kinsmen, according to God's law, uh, whenever uh, a situation like this takes place, uh, there should be a, uh, a brother, near kin, someone involved to ensure that that land is purchased if it was sold, it was to be purchased back and given back to the family so that that land can stay in the family. So this is what is is taking place. This 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 uh, Naomi desires to sell this land. Boaz knows it and he knows that the near kinsman has the priority in the purchase to prevent the land from disappearing from the family so that the land stay in the family. Boaz seeks uh, this kinsman redeemer to purchase the land. This is the priority according to the law of Deuteronomy. Uh, what we read in Deuteronomy uh, 25. Uh, but look at verse number four. He says, so I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it. In the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Immediately, there's some land. Naomi wants to sell it. Will you redeem it? Will you purchase it? Immediately, he says, I will redeem. Now, this seems like a setback, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and, and life is that way. That there, there are setbacks. There are things that often transpire in our lives that does not go the way that we anticipate that they will go. Let's imagine Boaz here. He says, here's the land. And, we, and, and this redeemer, our name redeemer, said, yeah. It, 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 it looks like Boaz is about to lose out. You know that this is this is going to set. This is a setback. He 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 may lose out. And 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 this oftentimes happens to us. We encounter setbacks that we things that we 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 may be in situations that may seem like we're going to lose something special if we go through with what is before us. But what are we to do? We're to yield to the Lord. Put his will first. Who this is what, what, what Boaz is doing is what the law requires. This is Boaz's priority. Boaz's priority is God's will. 
And, and, and now let's talk about just just a, a little something that's in the, the background here about perhaps why this redeemer said that he would redeem this land. According to the law, the, 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 the land must stay in the family and be passed on to the son. But remember, Naomi is past childbearing age. So if this land, if, if the redeemer, this unnamed redeemer redeems the land, Naomi can't have any sons. And what would happen if Naomi died? That land would go to the redeemer. He would inherit, he would have the land because Naomi doesn't have any sons. Remember her two sons are dead. And she's not able to produce a son. And so this land would be added to this unnamed redeemer's estate. It seemed like a pretty good deal. He gets some land. Uh, you know, and he would pay for it and, and it would become his and he would get it and he would be able to pass it down to his son. Keep that in mind. Boaz, now he's going to share another issue. So there's not only the issue of the land, which seems like a good deal. Now comes the sticking point. Look at verse five. Then Boaz said, the, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Ruth, the Moabite, <laughs> the widow of the dead. Boaz informs this unnamed redeemer that the day you buy the land, you will also acquire Ruth. Ruth, she's a Moabite. She's, uh, the, uh, 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 she is uh, 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 a foreigner. <laughs> and now let's see if the redeemer really wants the land. Boaz is going to tell you, if, when, when you do this, you're going to acquire Ruth the Moabite. Why? In order, Boaz goes on and says, in order to propitiate the name of the dead in his inheritance. He will have, the, the, this unnamed redeemer will have to marry Ruth the Moabite and raise a son for her late husband. And this son would be the one who would inherit this land. All right, so so now there's uh there there's this this is going to spoil his plans. If he wants the land, if it was just Naomi involved, it was all good. But now Ruth is involved and if Ruth is involved, he has to marry Ruth and he has the responsibility of having a son by Ruth and it would be the son that would inherit that land. It wouldn't be added to this redeemed kinsman redeemer's current estate, nor would it go to his family. And if, if his son, talking about the kinsman redeemer, if his son, like if he had some sons. We don't know if he was married or not or anything like that, but if he has sons, if his sons died and the son he had with Ruth would remain alive, that son that he had with Ruth would also get all of his property as well. So not only would he lose the property that uh, he would have purchased, from Naomi, his property was threatened as well. His inheritance was threatened as well. And not only that, if he had a son with Ruth, that son would inherit his name. He would inherit Ruth's dead husband's name or his family name would be uh, carry on Ruth's dead husband family name instead of the redeemers. 
name. The child will see later on in verse 17 that the women, when Ruth has have a child by Boaz, the child is viewed as the son of Naomi and Elimelech. That's in verse 17. So this redeemer is he's going to lose a lot. And he knows that. And so the, he and he's more concerned about preserving his name and his family name rather than fulfilling his redemptive duty as kinsman. Notice his response in verse six. Notice what he says. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it. Notice it said it. His focus is on the land. I cannot redeem it for myself, least I impair. This word impair could mean more, ruin, damage, endanger, and the NASB has jeopardized. I cannot redeem it for myself, least I jeopardize my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself for I cannot redeem it. The, the redeemer didn't want to jeopardize his legacy. Don't ask me to make that kind of a sacrifice. Don't ask me to 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 pay the costly price for the sake of my brothers and sisters. Ian DeGuid commented in reference to this. He said that the Redeemer is saying this costly ministry without any personal payoff. Forget it. I'm not getting anything out of this. You can forget about it. I'm not going to do it. I'll minister to others as long as long as I profit. That's what he's saying. As long as I'm a profit from it, I'm willing to do it. As long as there is payoff for me, I'm going to do it. How many of us like that? Behind the scenes, beneath the veneer, deep down in our hearts, the reason we do what we do, we do it because there is some payoff that we're going to get from doing what we do. This man is not, he, he's, he's not, willing to be used by God to glorify God. He's not willing to, to yield and submit to God's will. This is what God's law require of him. And he's not, he said, I can't do it. <laughs> That's too much for me. I can't do it. And the irony here, the irony here is, is that he is trying to preserve his legacy. He's trying to preserve his name and his name is forgotten. And it disappears from Israel's history. This is the last we hear of this man. And we don't even know his name. And because he's being selfish and try, he's more worried about himself, his name is forgotten. And God doesn't use him to continue on his kingdom. Boaz, we know Boaz's name. Matter of fact, Boaz's name is mentioned in a couple of places in the Bible. Even mentioned in the New Testament. This redeemer didn't want to jeopardize his legacy. He didn't want to do what was costly because he wasn't getting anything out of it. 
might have been the rich young ruler's issue. Remember, he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns and gives him some of the, the, some of the law. He said, oh, I did all of that. And then Jesus says, go and sell all that you have. What is Jesus asking him to do? Give up everything that you have. Take up your cross and follow me. And, the, and what is implied in that is that all that he had, he will have to give up. All that he would pass on to his children, he had to give up. All that he inherited from his father, he, would, he had to be willing to give that up, take up a cross, suffer and live for Jesus Christ, and he wasn't willing to do it. Price is too high for him. The cost. This is why Jesus said we must count the cost if we're going to follow him because the price is high. It requires everything. Your very life is required of you in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. God can, when you desire, when you come to follow Christ, God can do with your life what he pleases. If he want to give you sickness, he can, he, he has the, he can do that. If he want to take from you everything, he can do that. If he want to give you everything, he can do that. Are you willing to be used by God in the way that he wants to use you? Of course, we know with Boaz and Ruth, they give up everything, but they gain everything. <laughs> this man wasn't. He wasn't willing to do that. So notice the confirmation, verse 7. The kinsman refuses, and this refusal must be legal. It must be made public so that everyone knows that he has set aside his right to be a redeemer. Look at verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging or transferring the right of redemption in this case, uh, to confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. So one took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. This was a legal, a visual, legal confirmation of the agreement reached between two parties. Look at verse eight. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. This was showing that the Redeemer was passing on his responsibility to redeem the land and to redeem Ruth. And so Boaz assumes responsibility publicly. Boaz assumes responsibility of rescuing the land and Ruth. Notice his comment in verses 9 and 10. It says, then, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day. Verbal, public confirmation. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilon and to uh, Mahalan. He redeems the property. Look at verse 10. And he said, also... Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahala. That's in the emphatic position. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahala. This is in in it, it. This is this is the emphasis. And then he goes on. I have bought to be my wife. Boaz gladly accepts the right to marry Ruth the Moabite. He's not ashamed of her. He's not ashamed of her past. He's not ashamed of where she come from. She came from the land of Moab, the land of idol worshippers. She was idol worshipper. 
She was a foreigner. She was an outsider to the covenant of God. And Boaz gladly accepts the right to marry her. <laughs> Jesus Christ, beloved, unashamedly chose you if you're a believer. There was nothing worthy in you if you were a believer. There was nothing worthy in you for him to choose you as one of his. He, uh, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says of, of, of Christ who takes sinners uh, uh, and, and he calls us as, as those who are his brothers. <laughs> Brother, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says this, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Uh, that is why he is not ashamed, not ashamed to call them brothers. Because Christ came in his incarnation, he, he, he had flesh and blood like you and I. He redeemed you and I who are flesh and blood, and he's not ashamed to call us brothers. Notice something else here. This is this is an agreement. This is a marriage. Where is Ruth? Where, where I mean, all of this is taking place for Ruth. Where's Ruth? Is she involved in the process? She's not a part of the process. Her redemption was dependent upon Boaz alone. He alone secured Ruth's redemption. He alone did everything necessary. That's why it's, it go, you go back and read. He, he, he summoned this person and they sat down. He summoned the elders and they sat down. He brought the legal issue forward. They heard it. They witnessed it. Boaz did everything. Ruth did nothing. She's just at home trusting that Boaz would be faithful to his word. And beloved, you and I did nothing to be a believer except respond to what God was already doing in our hearts. You didn't do anything. You didn't make arrangements. You didn't do nothing but respond to what God was already doing. If God didn't do it, you wouldn't be redeemed. Just as Boaz showed his commitment to redeem Ruth, we see Jesus Christ's commitment to redeem a bride for himself by the fact that he came into the world and lived a righteous life. He did what we could not do. He lived a righteous life. He died upon the cross for your sins and my sins. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And because he lived a righteous life, all that righteousness that is his has been credited to your account you were in debt you were in debt to sin you were dead what is the payment of sin the payment of sin is death the wages of sin is death that is what you were due christ took it 
He took that debt upon himself, paid the price and gave you righteousness that you did not deserve. Jesus was committed. He did everything necessary. John 6 and 38, Jesus said this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to but the will of him who sent me. John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus Christ did. Boaz is pointing us to Christ. Boaz is not concerned about his name. Look at what he goes on to say. He says to uh, I'm a Mary Ruth to propitiate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his of this of his native place. He's more concerned about somebody else rather than him, himself. And this was his purpose for marrying Ruth was to give a future to the family of her late husband, which again is a fulfillment to God and his word according to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Boaz is not concerned with himself. Boaz is willing to risk the loss of his name to ensure that the name and the line of his relative Elimelech will not pass away. And we too, beloved, must learn to put others ahead of ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And the next verse goes and talk about let this mind be in you that was in Christ. Christ did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit in, 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 in who he was. He, he did what he did in humility. And here Boaz, in all humility, is thinking about others. And he goes on, he says, you are witnesses today. That's important. You're witnesses. All, and notice the response of all who witnessed. Look at verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. They, they confirmed the transaction. <laughs> and then they prayed for God's blessing upon this marriage. This book is full of blessings of people praying and asking for blessings. The intercession, notice the, the intercession. We have the preparation, the negotiation, the confirmation. It was confirmed, now the intercession. And we'll close. First, in the intercession, there's a prey that is prayed for Ruth. Look at verse 11. And it said, the elders and, and the people say, this is what they said, make the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Lee. They prayed for Yahweh to make Ruth fertile like the matriarchs of Israel. This signifies two things. First, that Ruth is fully accepted as one of the people of God. Make her like Rachel and Leah, who built together, who together built up the house of Israel. She's fully accepted as one of the people of God. Second thing, remember that Ruth was married and she was married for, for 10 years and she was barren. She had no children with Mahalan. And so, so they're praying that she would be blessed 
with a child. God answered that prayer. Just tell you ahead of time. Second, they pray for a blessing for Boaz. May you act worthily in Ephrata and be renowned in Bethlehem. They're praying that Boaz would be prosperous and that his name would be remembered. <laughs> Thirdly here, they ask for a blessing for Boaz and Ruth's future family. In verse 12, it said, may your house and may your house be like the house of Perez. Boaz, the house of Perez is it's significant because Boaz and all the people of Bethlehem are descendants of, Boaz, of, of Perez. All the people there, they're descendants of Perez. The people at the gates, the elders, they're all descendants. And he goes on and says, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. Ruth and Tamar have something in common. They were both outsiders who lost their husband. Both had people who refused to redeem them. And God used them both to preserve their family line from extinction. And so, as I close, Boaz and Ruth, and, and as we close out next week, remember, Boaz is making a great sacrifice. Ruth has made a great sacrifice in that she turned her back on her people her land, her name, all that she had known. She turned her back on that to follow Naomi. Boaz making uh, such a, 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 a great sacrifice himself. God is going to bless both of these individuals in ways that they cannot imagine. We know the end of their story. They didn't know what we know. They didn't know that their offspring would lead to David, the greatest king of Israel. They didn't know that their offspring would lead to Jesus Christ, the king of king and Lord of lords. They didn't know that. But they made the sacrifice. Are you willing to make a sacrifice for Christ? Even though you don't know how your story ends. Well, we know how it ends. We're going to be with him one day. We know how that is. We know we're going to be with him one day to behold him as he is in, in, in all of his glory. And I can tell you, beloved, that is worth more than anything you can possess in this life. You can give up everything and gain everything. They both made great sacrifices. And it doesn't, and we don't want to conclude that if you make such a great sacrifice from God, that it always going to turn out, it's, your life is going to turn out like Boaz's and Ruth's life turn out. That's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed that your life is going to turn out to be a, a happy story like theirs. Your life may turn out to be filled with pain, suffering, loss. But even in the midst of that, you if you have Christ, you have everything. Can I say that? You have everything. The, the redeemer in this story was seeking to make his name known and seeking to serve himself. And he wasn't willing to pay the costly price. We must be willing to pay the price to follow Christ.
And, and Boaz, this one who, by God's grace, stepped up and redeemed Ruth, who was at one time a person that was outside of the people of God. He brought her in. This Boaz points us to Christ as our Redeemer. Christ redeemed us to make us a bride for himself. He initiated the process by coming to earth. He willingly paid the price to redeem us. It was a high cost, but he willingly paid the price. He willingly bore upon himself our sins and he died in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. He redeems us and brings us into his family where we are able to fellowship not only with him, but with God the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit. He indwells us and we're able to, in a sense, be united to the Trinity and united to one another in such a way and in a close way that the intimate relationship that we have with him and with one another cannot be compared to any other relationship that we have with one another outside of Christ. Are you willing to have what he gives or do you want what the world gives? That which is passing away. That which could be here today and gone tomorrow. But if you got Christ, I say it again, you have everything. If the world falls apart, Psalm 46, if the mountains crash and fall into the ocean, if the worst things that could happen in life happen, God is still God. Christ is still Christ. Nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Not even death will separate you from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ for you. Nothing. Is he not worth your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been so merciful to us in Christ. For those of us who know Christ, who have paid the costly price of giving our lives and submitting ourselves to him as our Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for sending Christ. We thank you for accomplishing uh, and, and arranging for all that was needed for our salvation. As a matter of fact, Paul says you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before anything was created. You arranged it all. You arranged, you purposed that those who would come to you would come to you through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for such a, a wonderful truth that we are given in the scripture of your sovereignty, of your sovereign rule over our lives. And not only do you call us to yourself, but you give us rich blessings in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you. And, and, and Father, I pray that if someone who is either here or hearing this message that have not made the costly decision to come to Christ. Father, I pray that you would give them the heart to see Christ as the greatest treasure of all treasures. That there is nothing that you would lose that has any value that could be compared with Christ. Father, only you can do that. Only you can make 
those who are unwilling, willing to come to Christ. And so we ask that you would do that work, that work of salvation in their hearts. Begin to draw them to Christ, enable them to respond to who Christ is and what uh, we know about him as revealed in your word. We pray that you would do that, not for our sake, not for our comfort, but for the honor and the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross, who paid the price, who made the greatest sacrifice in order that they may have life if they believe and trust and submit their will to him. We pray that you would do that, that miracle, Father. And we will rejoice with the angels in heaven. We praise you. We glorify you for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.